In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with, and the other has never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. Today we're watching Pacific Rim, a 2013 sci-fi film directed by Guillermo del Toro and starring Charlie Hunnam as one of the pilots of a fleet of giant fighting robots called Jaegers? Jaegers. Okay. Like, like Jaegerbomb. Like Jaegerbomb, you know, okay. The world needs... It's also like a German word or something, but you know, like Jaegerbomb, it's a good way of knowing it. The world needs giant fighting robots, of course, to fight off giant Godzilla-esque monsters, obviously, called Kaiju. And I've never seen it, obviously, since I don't know how to pronounce any of it. Yeah, you've never seen Pacific Rim. Oh my God! No, this is uh, uh, the, the, this movie <laughs> actually it's it's pretty recent uh, by our standards. This came out last year, um, but it was a surprise favorite for me last year. I was huh. not expecting to like this movie as much as I did. Interesting. I feel like I read. Um, I feel like that wasn't the reaction that I saw from the internet at large. What was the reaction that you saw? Like. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the people that I know slash like sites that I follow were kind of like this could have been so awesome, but it wasn't. I think it was so awesome. No, I mean, so here's the here's the context. Is like even though I do like an intellectual film every year without fail, I always see a good number of dumb action movies. I, I like Duh. action movies. I can't can't help it. Why would you not do that? But the thing is, the thing with most of those movies is that they're disposable. You watch them. You watch them once. Maybe twice if you're drunk, but you know, you generally you, you watch them and you're done with them. You don't really need to revisit them. For instance, I just saw November Man with Pierce Brosnan. It really, you know, it wasn't bad, but really? I'm never going to see it again. Yeah, and, and so, so there's, there's a lot of movies like that that are just disposable, and I was totally expecting this to be one of those, right? Just sort of dumb action movie, summer blockbuster, go have fun, whatever. Summer blockbusters don't exist anymore, Eric. Now there are blockbusters all year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The summer movie season is dead. (laughs) But anyway, this came out in the summer and it was a blockbuster. (gasps) Um, And yes, I went and saw it expecting not a whole lot out of it. And uh, I've now since this will be my third time watching the movie. Like I've since like chose chose to just revisit it, and uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm actually excited to watch this again. Um, which I can't say about a lot, a lot of the, a lot of these movies. Even though this is very much a big dumb movie, I'm not, I'm not gonna try and conceal that at all. This, this is, this is, this is a fun one. All right, so we're not necessarily looking for uh, depth and art <laughs> entirely. I will say there are some very good actors in this, including a bunch that you'll recognize. We have Anderson oh, Charlie Hunnam. Um, so uh, those people you recognize who are who are good actors, and there, there are some like good dramatic moments but we'll get to that when we get to that when we talk about the actual movie all right after we watch it i'm intrigued all right so let's go watch pacific rim and we'll be back after the break see you soon in case you couldn't tell from that intro we recorded it a while ago i referenced pacific rim as being a movie from last year it's from 2013 and emily talked about seeing the november man recently so you can probably figure out when we recorded that Anyway, 
We're publishing the episode now, and we want you to watch the movie before we get into spoilers, because we are going to do that in just a minute. If you want to watch the movie, and you really should, it's available at Amazon, iTunes, Google, Xbox, Sony, and also available on Netflix if you have a DVD subscription, or you can buy the DVD or Blu-ray online. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, pause this, go take care of that, and then come back, because we're about to get into spoilers. Welcome back to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. We've just finished watching Pacific Rim. And I have to Woo. say, I have to say, uh, I enjoyed this movie. I did I did right. enjoy this movie. Uh, but before I expand on that, tell me what you like about it, Eric. My favorite thing about Pacific Rim, there's a lot of stuff I liked about this movie. My favorite thing, though, is the world building. I'm, I'm a sucker for a really well-built-out world where there's stuff that they wouldn't need to explain, but they take the time and effort to do anyway. I just got way more optimistic about our next episode. Where where there's sort of these little details about the world that aren't really relevant to the plot, but but taken all together, all these little things add up. And so, so for example, um, the fact that uh, when we go to the Shadow Dome and you have all of these uh, different uh, international teams and whatnot, you could they could have just had sort of standard issue robots, but no, every single uh, of those machines has its own style. They, they, the, the technology feels totally different. So you have the Russian team. That tank lasted the T-90s, Cherno Alpha. First generation Mark I, the heaviest, oldest Jaeger in the service, but make no mistake, Mr. Mickey, it's a brutal war machine. Because different countries because different countries built them? Is that what's up with that? Right, because okay. it came from different countries. And then you have the Chinese triplets. Crimson Typhoon, China, one of the greatest. Assembled in Shansu, full titanium core, no alloys, 50 diesel engines per muscle strand. Deadly precise fighter. She's piloted by the Wei Tang brothers, triplets. Um, and, you know, Gypsy Danger is kind of half Star Wars, half American Air Force. Um, you know, so, you, so little stuff like uh, that. I'm going to go ahead. Go I'm going to go ahead and interject uh, American Navy aviation, actually. And there's okay. a reason I'm going to say that. But you can you can continue little no, no, no. Let's, little let's, preview. Let's, let's, you can continue let's your chase the rabbit. Let's chase the rabbit down the hole here. We're, we're, but you're not supposed maybe. to do that. Do it anyway. Um. Okay. Have you seen Top Gun? Yes. Okay. Um. And this is not, what I'm about to say is not a bad thing because I love okay. Top Gun All right. a lot. Um. But the first hour and a half of this movie was like kind of totally the last 45 minutes of Top Gun. Yeah. Like no, from no, which <laughs> which I totally support. I think I think that's fair. You know, it's it's a pretty solid like a pretty solid set of of plot devices with like your partner you're super close to dying in the middle of a mission and yeah. the obno- Oh yeah, I'm also Top Gun spoilers, I guess. And you know, the uh the like obnoxious cocky guy who's like mm-hmm. i'm really good at this and like you you're too like unpredictable you're dangerous you think your name's gonna be on that plaque yes sir that's pretty arrogant considering the company you're in yes sir i like that in the pilot uh you know they even yeah. they even at one point in the during during the fight actually that basically ends with you can be my wingman anytime except then there's more <laughs> to the movie 
they also totally have like I didn't totally understand it, but something happened to their weapon systems, and so they had to get out their like sword, just like right. you know they were too close to missiles, so they had to switch to guns. I'm just saying. Well, the thing is, like, I think that when you were talking about kind of the negative perception you got of people's reaction to this movie, there were a lot of geeks online who really didn't like this movie. I didn't want to spoil this before we watched it, but who really didn't like it because of how much it borrows from other stuff, especially people who are fans of uh, two really big Japanese genres, the kaiju movie, the giant monster movie, and then like the mech genre where you have giant fighting robots, usually fighting monsters, sometimes fighting other robots. Um, this this movie borrows very liberally from those. And, and also has a James Bond ending, let's be real. And James Bond and Top Gun. I mean, seriously, at the end of the movie, the characters are floating in open water. I, I know. And, I, like, I was thinking the exact so same thing. So wrapped up in their eye contact that they're not responding to their superiors over the radio anymore. Marco, Raleigh, we have your position. The choppers are on their way. Just, just, just hang on. Are you okay? Do you copy? Yeah, come in, Mr. Bond. Come in. <laughs> I was disappointed that a giant arrow didn't come so they could grab onto it to say it. You know, I, I know. The yeah, that would have been them. great. Uh, we did have plenty of gratuitous explosions, though, so there's that. Love them. Finish your sentence. Well, it just, so this movie is actually kind of accidentally a good follow-up to Moulin Rouge because it does mash up a lot of different like cultural things. There's a lot of stuff going on here that's being being mashed up and borrowed from other places that's that's not original, but at the same time, by dint of being interpreted in this way. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, like I said, this was the third time I've seen this movie, and I, I think one of the things I like so much about it is that it's basically what if you had a B-movie director and you just gave him a gigantic budget. It, this this movie feels very much like kind of an homage, not only to those genres, but also to sort of just the whole B-movie ethos of like, let's just tell a really fun story. So I, I don't know. What, what did you think of what do you think of Pacific Rim? Um, I mean, I don't know if I have anything to comment on the B-movie ethos thing. Yeah. Although, I mean, it was cool. I um, I'm going to jump around a little bit in what in the comments I had written down because this is a little more relevant to some of the stuff that you've said, yeah. which is that as much as I enjoyed this movie and as much as he's um, really pretty, especially in like the opening scene when he just like gratuitously is sleeping with his shirt off. I'm sorry, but I can't with Charlie Hunnam. Like yeah, that opening, not. the opening voiceover. Uh, I was 15 when the first Kaiju might land in San Francisco. And then like everything else he said in the movie, it, he's just so like, I'm going to deliver all my lines like this. To hide my Australian accent, I need to talk in a very specific way. In exactly this tone. I can't have anyone else in my head again. I'm done. I was still connected to my brother when he died. I can't go through that again, man. I'm sorry. Right before they go in, I mean, the voiceover, it's all in the beginning is bad. Yeah. But then, like, right before they go into the, like, final battle thing, he, like, turns to mm -hmm. Mako and announces, I guess, that he's into her, which is, like, duh. Yeah. You know, Mako, all those years I spent living in the past, I never really thought about the future. Until now. <laughs> I never did have very good timing. Um, other things I have written in my notes, by the way... Drift <laughs> drift compatible is definitely the most like hilarious like action movie techno babble term for like totally into each other. It's really funny. But anyway, well, I mean drift compatible also means father son, I know, brother sister. I know. I mean, we, but in their case okay. like come on. 
it's the reason these two have to be forced together is that these these two have to come together because they are compatible like no other exactly exactly yes. i mean they had they had like a super fraught like fight scene where they're like all intense and then it's like oh yeah we're definitely drift compatible which may or may not mean boner compatible <laughs> um so yeah anyway he's he's pretty but yeah Charlie Hunnam can only say things exactly like this, and I kind of can't deal with it because he displays no emotion, even when Shane Oman died in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen one episode of Sons of Anarchy, which Charlie Hunnam and also Ron Perlman are both stars of, and like I I like the the episode I saw, but then I never went back to it. Um, so I'm kind of curious. Is it because now... Charlie Hunnam has no emotions? That wasn't the reason, but. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, I don't remember his character as being especially good. Like, I remember thinking, oh, Ron Perlman's character is good and other people are good. But he, like, plays Ron Perlman's son in the show. And I remember kind of being, like, not, like, anti him, but, it, like, kind of as a, a blah, like, just not really thinking much of him either way. So I'm now kind of, maybe if that's the next show I watch, maybe I'll be thinking about uh, about <laughs> boring delivery, Charlie Hunnam. And then the other, this is, these are kind of, like, really random things. Overall, I enjoyed the yeah. movie. I um, but then the other thing is I totally loved the, the quirky scientists who like followed yes. each other, Charlie Day and, um, Burn Gorman, Gorman from yes. Turchwood. From Torchwood. Or, or Turchwood, if you're me and you can't speak. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to see more of them. Like, like, yeah. I thought they were, I thought they were so great. Like the first scene when they came, came in and were like sort of fighting with each other, but like they also obviously like. Mr. Beckett, this is our research team. Dr. Gottlieb and Dr. Geisler. Oh, no, call me Newt. Only my mother calls me doctor. <laughs> Herman, these are human beings. Why don't you say hello? I've asked you not to refer to me by my first name. Oh, yes. this. I'm a doctor. No, yes, ten, ten years, ten years of experience, man. Very sorry. I don't know. I was like, I was like, yeah. oh, I love these guys. These are so awesome. This is like, I wanted a whole is, movie with just them. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say a whole movie, but it was just kind of like, all right, like this is these two, their dynamic. Like, this is going to be the thing that makes this not just like an action movie with right. like all of the action movie tropes. It was like, I like these two. I like that we've taken the quirky scientists and made it two quirky scientists and given them like interplay with each other. I wish there was more of them um, because I feel like they set it up really well and then didn't take like full advantage of that like chemistry between the two of them, especially considering the way that they ended up, um, that mm -hmm. they, they ended up like drifting with the, uh, the kaiju together. And it was like such, it was like, it, it felt like a moment of like, it should have been, or kind of, it was a moment of like payoff where like, Right. They're they're putting aside their differences and actually they're like, you know, compatible and doing anything for science, whatever. But I right. feel like the payoff would have just been like so much more awesome if like there had been more of their awesome dynamic and less of Charlie Hunnam saying things like this. Gosh darn. <laughs> mm. So sad. Well, okay, so here here's the thing is like it's it's one of those um it's always possible to have too much of a good thing, right? That's and true. so sometimes I like this is something this movie does actually with a couple characters, with both the scientists and also with Hannibal Chow, is it lets your brain fill in a lot of the gaps about the history. Um, so, uh, first off, what, what did you think of, of Ron Perlman as Hannibal Chow? Uh, Not crazy about him? I didn't really... I, I don't know. I didn't really care about him. Like, I was really? just... I was just kind of like... This is just like a weird sideshow. They're like trying to make a... Trying to make a quirky, See, slightly dangerous smuggler dude like meh. 
I, I, I didn't I think, really care. I think the Hannibal Chow scene, I mean, in addition to being just, I think he's a really funny, fun character, um, but the, the Hannibal Chow scene has one of my favorite, like, lines, like, establishing a character, establishing a backstory as quickly as possible. Oh, that's great. That's real great. So I take it you're, you're Hannibal Chow, right? I like the name. I took it from uh, my favorite historical character and my second favorite Sichuan restaurant in Brooklyn. That is everything you need to know about Hannibal Chow. That tells you everything in one line. And that just, that to me is so perfect. Um, and so that, that sort of thing, you get that with a scientist too, where um, in one of the first scenes where uh, Charlie Day throws some entrails and they fall over onto Bern Gorman's side of the lab. Mr. Godley, I have to drop a 2,400 pound thermonuclear bomb. I need more than a prediction. Well, uh... That's a problem then, because see, he actually can't give you anything more than a prediction. No kaiju entrails over my side of the room. You know the rules. And you see this a little dotted line down the center of the of the room, where clearly they have painted this in the past. Yeah, no, that that line that line was fabulous. I thought I thought that was great, and that's just like so, I'm stuff not. Like I don't. That, I'm not details. saying they should have been like the entire movie. I just think like yeah. one more scene like that with them, or or one more line like the dotted something would right. have added more. And so Hannibal Chow. I didn't not think that was a great line and I didn't like not think he was a good character for what he was or any of those things. I just like, I, I'm just like neutral on him. Like, I don't really care. He's, okay. He was, he was solid. Okay. I wanted to ask you also about sort of what you thought of sort of the, like the environments of a Pacific Rim. Um, this is something that, that I, I, I don't know if this is kind of whatever the opposite of a pet peeve is, a pet perk or whatever, um, is something that I really like about certain sci-fi films, this one included, is when you have a world that feels really dirty and junky. Uh-huh. And, like Firefly? Um, like Firefly, yes. Or like Empire Strikes Back, where you clearly mm-hmm. sense this is the rebellion on the ropes. You know, the Hoth base is all falling apart and everything's all dirty yeah, and Yeah, no, grimy. that stuff is cool. Probably smells bad, um, but I agree. Did, is that something that, like, were you consciously, like, noticing that when you were watching this for the first time, or...? Um, it didn't not stand out to me. Um, I, I think yeah. it's more that like that's that's kind of such an established thing of like the underground rebels are like you know even if they have some pretty kick ass technology they're like it's it's sort of grimy and undergroundy like in Empire Strikes Back and Firefly in um in the Matrix like they're yeah. like underground world in the Matrix like. Uh, so yeah, like that was there and I think, I think it was happening and they did a good job with it. Um, I don't think it mm-hmm. stood out to me just cause I feel like it's something where, um, we're very used to being a thing and like a, a, it's, a it's signal. Common, yeah. Um, speaking of environments and things happening, um, something that bothered me was that all the fight scenes were just kind of randomly at night. And I was just like, especially the first one, like when it's mm-hmm. the first fight we've seen that we've seen and it's like. I don't really see a reason why this has to be at night and I've never seen one of these fights before and I can barely tell what's going on or follow it. I don't know Mm. what the, I don't, I don't yet know what the weapons capabilities of this robot are or like what exactly this, um, kaiju looks like. So I was just kind of like, I don't know what's going on. I can't follow this fight scene very well. I mean, I'm following it, but not like excellently. And I'm just like, I don't really see a reason why it was at night, especially when then the next major fight scene was like also at night in water. And it was like, guys, I still haven't seen what the damn robots do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
that's actually something where I think that might have hurt the movie's reception when it came out is because at least here in the U.S., they were really pushing Sea Pacific Rim in 3D really hard in all the ads. Um, and the it was one of the movies that was post-converted for 3D. And Ooh, you might know from post-conversion that's never that good. post-conversion makes the picture dimmer. Yeah. And it makes the a normally bright picture dimmer. And so this is a movie that's already pretty dark to begin with, dark and mostly and, and a good chunk of it is underwater. And so there's a lot of stuff that people who went to see it were just like, I could not make head or tail of any of it. And, you know. One of the many reasons I hate 3D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 3D well done is is well done, but right. But it's also rare. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You have Avatar. Up, actually. And maybe that's it. Up was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, I I really liked I really liked Up in 3D. <laughs> yeah. But and I I mean I saw it I saw it in both within like a week of each other and I've I just thought the 3D added a lot. But no, no, no. I think 3D is extremely extremely rarely well done. Yeah. And th- this is apparently one of the times I I luckily caught it in theaters in 2D cuz I had been warned don't see it in 3D. But but yeah, I think this was from from what I've read this is one of the times where it was very poorly done, but it was done to make an extra buck. Unfortunate. It, it was it was only really thanks to the international markets this movie was profitable. Like they they, they did not make anywhere close to what they wanted to make in the US from this. Sad for them. What did you think of Idris Elba as a uh, uh, generic commando? Uh, come on. <laughs> it's Idris Elba, <laughs> and they let him use his real accent. Like... At the edge of our hope, at the end of our time, we have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Do we yeah. really need to discuss this? So the thing, the thing that I think is really funny about Idris Elba's character in this is that he kind of, he kind of, uh, even though he's a better actor, he kind of falls into the Nick Cage school of acting in this, where he's either whispering or shouting. You know, he he, he tends to just kind of jump back and forth between the two it's, in a really funny manner. It's not Idris Elba's greatest role. What other options do we have? Huh? Tell me. Do not let my calm demeanor fool you. Ranger! Now is not a good moment for your insubordination. But, uh, you know, I'm okay with it. He does that. He does that better than, say, Charlie Hunnam, while also being just as pretty and having his own natural British accent, which he doesn't get to have in The <laughs> Wire. So, ah. I I pretty strongly supported Rosalba's character in this story. <laughs> Might be a good time to point out I have not seen The Wire. Dude. Sorry. On I'm sorry. the list. I mean, I. I haven't actually finished The Wire. Um, I've but you've seen much more of it than I have because I have seen zero percent. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really good. So, other random thoughts about this? Uh, I don't know if you have any more. What one that I have in in my my notes was um, something I actually didn't like too much about this that I felt, or at least they felt they could have done better. Was at one point they very quickly they speed past it as fast as possible. They very quickly try and squeeze in an almost pseudo environmental message. Wait, what? When did that happen? Yeah, it happened so fast you didn't notice it. Yeah, uh, Charlie Day is explaining why the kaiju are coming from underneath the 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 oh, water. Oh, 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 right, right, right. How yes. these are ancient dinosaurs and how because of yeah, all the yeah, pollution, yeah, we terraformed the planet for them by we, yes, we, we, we've, right. we've made the conditions perfect for the kaiju to come back because we've caused so much damage to to it. And I was just like, at a certain point, this is a movie with giant robots fighting giant monsters, and like 
okay, you wanted to make a message, but that message was so sloppily and hastily put out there. It was it was worse than not having that at all, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, plus, like, didn't the dinosaurs not really die out because they're... The environment wasn't right for them. Wasn't there like a freaking asteroid? Like an asteroid. Everyone get under the water and hide for millions of years. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I bought that very well. Yeah. Um. Um. I mean, I guess it's it's good that they didn't like really explore that very much. Maybe that's why they rushed past it. But yeah, they could have just skipped it entirely. Probably. Movie would not have suffered at all from skipping over that idea. I mean, that that's something that uh, getting to the B movie ethos that I was talking about earlier is like there's so much in this movie where you know if you go into like trying to scrutinize the logic of it, you you can get like you know like why did they do that? Why did they do that? The answer to all those questions is because it makes for a more fun, more entertaining movie. For example, manual activation is required. I'm initiating reactor override now. Manual activation. <gasps> What's going on? Trigger's offline. He has to do it by hand. Manual activation is always required. Of Somebody course. always has to be on the self-destructing ship to push the self-destruct button every time. Now, what I don't understand is why that person needs to give up his oxygen supply to the person who gets to eject first and therefore get back to oxygen first. No, 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 first. no. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't tied to the self-destruct. No, the oxygen was because in the fight, the underwater fight, one of the oxygen tanks got like I know. I got that. I got that. Yeah. And she was like he, he was giving I, no, I understand. I got I got why yeah. he was giving her oxygen. But all right, all right. she she got to the surface sooner than him cuz he was like here's your oxygen, go eject and she's just like whoop pop up, she's on the top of the ocean and he's like ha- then has no oxygen and is also or has less oxygen and is like hanging out in the in underwater for longer. Like I didn't it didn't Yeah. didn't really make sense. My understanding of that is that he was trying to guarantee her safety not sure if he would be alive but i am not i'm not sure if that i mean okay that makes that was sense just my, not my sure he was gonna survive they, they never spell it out yeah okay um also so he was trying to be the, the the big damn hero and sacrifice <laughs> himself you know on a related <laughs> note um two related notes actually one those metal suits which i guess were totally were necessary for like surviving inside mm. the the jaeger or whatever uh definitely not conducive to delivering cpr which is seems like no. kind of a failing. They should have like a. But she didn't deliver. No, CPR she didn't deliver she CPR. But she could have <laughs> if he was not wearing armor. Second yeah. comment: um, If there are escape pods and mm-hmm. they have a powerful enough eject to like get out of the rift, which seems like it's pretty far since it's like another dimension or whatever. <laughs> how come Idris Elba and the cocky Australian dude? couldn't also eject good question you know what don't care made for a more fun movie does anyone know <laughs> the the question the logic of this is, it a is more, folly. but is it a more fun movie when the grizzly older australian guy is sad at the end it, it added to the stakes it you know people two characters that that we cared about died i mean that's kind of you know maybe 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 cruel on the writer's part but it it you know <laughs> Um, it added to the intensity and the, and the feeling that Charlie Hunnam and Makamori, I don't know the actress's name, that, that they would die. Um, Rinko Kikuchi. You know? I, what else has she been in? She's in Babel, which is a terrible movie. But okay. um, have you seen it? No. Is that Ridley Scott? 
I don't think so. It's um, it's a really it's it's basically like international crash, um, okay. but worse. With haven't seen crash either, but I, I kind of have a sense of like what. what yeah, that means, so yeah. so crash is all like everybody's a little bit racist, and also things are weirdly <laughs> intertwined with each other. It's basically like Love Actually, but with racism. Like in terms of like all the storylines okay. seem like <laughs> disconnected, but they're actually together. <laughs> And the same is true of Babel, except that it's, like, not just around, like, L.A. It's, like, yeah, it's international. It's, like, spanning, like, the whole globe. But, like, the connections don't actually make any sense. Like, the things don't affect each other. They're just, like, randomly connected. It's such okay. a dumb and terrible movie. I do not recommend Babel at all. It's really, really stupid. However, okay, so Rinko Kikuchi also appearing in Babel. No, however, however, <laughs> Rinko Kikuchi's performance in Babel is incredible. She oh. is um, this – she plays a Japanese schoolgirl who – I guess she's, like, at high – she seems like she's, like, high school age-ish. Um, and she's mm-hmm. just, like – she's, like, super sort of depressed in a weird way and, like, feels very cut off from her friends and, like, never really mm-hmm. says anything. And uh, it, she's the – she's kind of the only compelling part of this movie at all okay. is, is her performance. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. I'm but. not saying that you should. <laughs> Uh, okay. I'm just saying, Ringo Kikuchi is in other things. Her name is worth okay. knowing. I now know it, for now. I forget it. Yeah, later probably. On. We'll see. We also were probably going to cut out this tangent because it's kind of stupid. So Emily, what else has Ringo Kikuchi been in? Babel, <laughs> which is a terrible movie, but she's good in it. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, what else is in? What else is your notes? Any any other um, thoughts? I mean, that's that's the big stuff. The uh, the theme song over the closing credits is like aggressively bad, though. We drift inside each other, all we have is one another, you find it, we can never fall. It was like trying to be bad, like it was like, you know what was a really bad theme song? That time that Puff Daddy, which was what we called him at the time, uh, <laughs> did the Godzilla theme song by just kind of rapping badly over Led Zeppelin's Cashmere. Where I met you, pistol packing, so that was a really bad theme song to a, yes, it was. To a, a semi-thematically related movie. So you know what we should mm-hmm. do is try to make a theme song worse than that. That is what that is what the now I want to listen to it. You're 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 just advertising for this song right here. It's actually, I mean, it's not that epically bad because it didn't, as far as I could tell, involve the like bastardization of an actually like legendary song from a legendary rock band. But yeah. it was just just really bad, like okay. really bad, dumb. Otherwise, however, the movie was super fun, despite its terrible closing credits song. So when I saw the movie in the theater, I didn't know to stick around for the closing credits scene. So I left and I missed uh, both the closing credits scene and apparently a very awful song, which I've now not heard three times. Um, but uh, when I got home after seeing it the first time, I was on Twitter, saw, oh, there's this amazing end credit scene, Hannibal Chow escaping from the baby monster. And people were, were hyped because they, they're saying this is setting up, you know, he's, you know, one of the big characters survived. They're setting up a sequel. And sure enough, uh, they are making a, a sequel to this somehow, either Atlantic Rim or Pacific Rim 2 or, I don't know, Antarctic Rim. Uh, so uh, not, we'll see how that goes. I, I might see the sequel. <laughs> I'm not, I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure I sequel enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to definitely give it a chance. I mean, if it's Guillermo del Toro directing, and uh, you know, if, if we have, 
I mean, well, I you can't have Idris Elba back, so heck, there's that. I uh, I saw November Man last weekend, so you know, there's no accounting yeah. for what I'll go see in the movie theater when I feel like going <laughs> and seeing a movie. By the time this airs, November Man will have been a movie that's been out on DVD for how many months? Yeah. Yeah, because it's probably uh, already out of theaters. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, closing thoughts. Yeah. So, I'm gl- I'm glad you liked it. That that makes me very happy. This is, like I said, this is one of those movies where I just had such low expectations and the fact that I've enjoyed it so much and that I've now enjoyed it three times upon seeing it in just over a year. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like discovering a movie like that. I, I love like discovering a new thing to geek out over. And yeah. th- this movie definitely falls in that category for me. Yeah. I also like enjoying a new thing to geek out over. I am probably not going to watch this movie three times in the next year. I'm not going to say I'm never going to watch it again. You know, it could happen. But, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it once. And that's yeah. that's probably going to be my... But it was fun. That's good enough. It was it was fun. It was good. I Good good way to All spend right. two hours. So uh, what are we going to be doing uh, next week for two hours or possibly more? It's going to be more than two hours because okay. we're committing to reading a book. Uh, mm, book? What is that? Well... It's this thing where you take letters and they form words. Okay, and and then the so words far. are strung together into sentences. And you lost me. What? And you have to read the sentences. And it makes a and, story. And in order? Or can you jump around sentence to sentence? Uh, just kind of jump In around? order is preferable. Okay. I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> and it makes a story, which is kind of like a movie. In fact, sometimes movies are based on books. No. Crazy. So, so what, what, which of these, these books? Book? Am I pronouncing that right? Book, book things. What What are we going to be going to be uh, watching? Is it reading? Reading. Reading. That's the right yes. Word. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, we will be reading the, the book Sabriel uh, by Garth Nix, which is the first book in the Abhorson trilogy, which is actually about to be a quartet, or maybe already is, depending on when we release this episode. <laughs> October twenty fourth. Merry Christmas, twenty sixteen, everyone. <laughs> October twenty fourteen. Book four is coming out. I already have it pre ordered for Kindle. Uh, yes, we'll be doing that next time. But uh, until then, Emily, where else can we find you online? I am on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. Thanks for joining us for Pacific Rim. We'll see you next time on Giant Geek versus Mega Noob. Farewell. We're out. This has been Giant Geek versus Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.